Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance, the former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Ruron Living, Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with Got Your Six Coffee, Get Up Nation's official coffee company of 2019. I partnered with Eric Hadley, the CEO and founder of Got Your Six Coffee, a veteran committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused the necessity of coffee with his passion of public service. Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted award-winning coffee at gotyoursixcoffee.com. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country. Welcome to episode 62 of the Get Up Nation podcast. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with John Mashey. John is the founder and executive director of veteranshealingfarm.org. After he left the Air Force, he felt a profound sense of isolation and wanted to do something about it. He and his wife, Nicole, created a 501c3 nonprofit community called Veterans Healing Farm for fellow veterans desiring a sense of belonging and purpose along with their families and allies. Since their inception, Veterans Healing Farm has donated over 25,000 pounds of flowers and fresh produce. They've created a thriving community of local veterans, caregivers, and civilians who foster emotional, physical, and spiritual health. As we know, one vital component of health is resilience. Veterans Healing Farm experienced tremendous adversity in the form of not just one, but two unprecedented catastrophic flash floods. In a powerful demonstration of resilience, they bounced back in honor of fallen Army soldier Corporal Matthew Bowler, who gave his life in Iraq on May 3rd, 2007. John, thank you for taking time to speak with me on the Get Up Nation podcast and for your service. You are a powerful example of resilience. Much for having me. Absolutely. John, you served in the United States Air Force. Will you share why you joined the Air Force and some of the lessons you learned during your service that makes you the resilient leader you are today? Sure. So I, I joined uh, right after high school. I graduated class of 2000, grew up in a small town in North Carolina called Hendersonville, and joined the Air Force not too long after I graduated and got to my first duty assignment in, I believe, June of 2001. So obviously all of this was prior to 9-11 happening. And when 9-11 happened, I, I had 
been on the base just for a fairly short period of time, didn't really have a community, wasn't plugged in, was young, I, I just turned 19, and obviously when, when the attacks happened and it was clear we were getting ready to go to war, there was a lot of anxiety, a lot of uncertainty. And shortly after that, September 30th of that same month, I got a knock on my door, it was a Sunday. I had gotten back from church, I was cleaning up my dorm room for inspection, and the base chaplain, along with uh, the first church, said to me, your mother told us not to tell you this, but you're a man, you're in the military, your father's dead, uh, you need to go home to his funeral. And that's how I found out that my dad died in a motorcycle accident on the Blue Ridge Parkway. And, you know, it was very, very, I don't even know how to describe it, it was a very serious time of my life. I mean. On the one hand, I was a young kid, worried about what's this going to look like in terms of going to war. And then on the other hand, I had to process the loss of my father in a very unexpected circumstance. And so long story short, I ended up coming home, going through his funeral, going back to my base in California and just going through a, a period of grieving, but not really having a support system to do so. You know, I don't fault the military for going to war, so mission comes first. But... For me, it was just one of those experiences to where I really didn't have what I needed at the time. And so about six months into it, I was I was pretty depressed. I would go to work, I would come home, I'd go to sleep. That's basically the routine I got into. And about six months into it, I had an opportunity to go with the uh, base chapel, did a, a trip down to Mexico. And I went down to this, this village and, you know, just giving back, serving in this very poor community was, was transformative. It was, it was incredibly impactful for me. And so I got into a, a cycle of going down to the same village every time I had an opportunity. And the more I would serve and, and give back, the, the, the more I would heal from that experience of losing my father. That's tremendous. One thing that becomes a frequent theme here on the show is the power of that service and how that is a strong component of developing that resilience of helping us be connected with others to help empower others out of trouble that they're in and how that often helps ourselves out of adversity also. And it seems like that is a profound example. And I'm thankful that you had that opportunity to awaken that within you. When you completed your service in the United States Air Force, you felt that isolation upon leaving, as you've described on the website as a profound sense of isolation upon leaving the Air Force. Will you share what you experienced as you transitioned out and into the idea of Veterans Healing Farm? Sure. You know, I, I did great in the Air Force. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I was uh, aerospace ground equipment mechanic, and every opportunity I had to not do that job, I <laughs> I took it just because I'm not really mechanically oriented, but that was my career field. But I did the honor guard um, as, as often as I could. Really enjoyed that and would have stayed in. However, my mother was a widow and needed me home. And so after my four years was up, I decided to come back home. And the thing about the military for me was once I had gotten kind of connected at base and was really plugged in, in giving back and really had an established community. The military is very community-oriented, and it's kind of built into the nature of the different branches of service. You you have to rely on the person next to you. They have to rely on you. So when I left that community and I got back to the civilian world, not only did I have a sense of just not really knowing how to plug in or where to go to connect, but then there was also a lack of mission. That's another experience in the military that's hard to even articulate to civilians that hadn't experienced that because the reality is it doesn't matter what the mission is, the political climate is at the time. The fact is 
whatever the mission is, that's the mission. And there's always a mission, and it's clear what it is. And, and it's not something that you have to you have to search for. It's right in front of your face. It's the very next thing to do. And so when I left that community and I left that experience of having this very clear mission in front of me, it became very clear that I now had to kind of figure it out for myself and and decide what is it that I want to do and what are my passions and where do I want to work and just the, the whole cycle and the routine of punching in and punching out and, and making money and then just moving on to the next season of life. But for me, in what I've seen for many others as well, that can be a very difficult thing to navigate. And so going back to the experience I had after losing my father, really the the thing that saved me, I should say, was being able to do things that had a bigger purpose to them. And you know, specifically in terms of the idea of going through a painful situation and, and just getting stuck and so focused on the pain that I was experiencing or that I had experienced, when I was able to kind of step outside of that, involve myself and engage in other people's pain, it, it allowed me to take my eyes off it. And eventually it, it didn't ever go away, but it no longer had kind of a stranglehold on I was just so obsessed over it, I couldn't let it go. And so that's essentially what drove me to aspire to create this concept of the healing farm. And initially, when I first came up with it, it was just fairly uh, arbitrary and vague. It was just this concept of having this farm community where people could come together. And when I first met my wife, I shared with her this vision of wanting to create this this place where people could come and we could use a discipline like farming as a tool to really gather together and to connect with a community. And she liked it. <laughs> At the time, I'd never grown anything in my life. And so it was, it was a huge transition to go from actually like having this vision to actually developing the skills needed to succeed, essentially accomplish the vision of the, the Veterans Healing Farm, which is what we have today. As we create organizations, we have an idea or a dream of what it will be. As Veterans Healing Farm took shape and became a reality, what were some of the experiences you had before May 16th of 2018? Yeah, there was there was a lot of like trial and error. There was the initial vision of arbitrary concept into actually creating a place where people, families were coming together in, in a place where people could be transparent and authentic and vulnerable. Really, that's what I was always shooting for, was a place to where if somebody asked the question, how are you doing? They actually wanted to know the answer. And if the answer wasn't some of the phrases people use often, like, if I was doing any better, I couldn't stand it, or very garbage answers. Right. <laughs> because there's, a, there's good days and there's also bad days. And the idea of having a place for those bad days to be real, navigating that, actually bringing that into existence, it's, it's one thing to have an idea, it's another thing to actually execute the idea. And so the first step was trying to get people to come out to our farm. You know, once I figured out how to grow produce, once I created a place that was very aesthetically beautiful and offered the opportunity for kind of physical exercise and opportunity to access nature and, and get that vitamin D from the sunlight, get your hands in the soil. Once I actually knew how to grow the produce, after that point, I was able to actually get people to show up and buy into the vision. From there, I realized fairly quickly that it wasn't enough to just have a place for people to come and have that experience. There was still a missing component, and that missing component was mission, was something bigger than themselves, because 
you know, when I got to a place to where I finally found the families to show up, it was $100 a season. So they'd pay $100, they'd be able to come out, they grow produce collectively as a, as a community, and then they each take home whatever they needed. And once that got to that point, I realized, like, people aren't really showing up, and, and they're not plugging in. And I couldn't understand what I was missing because we had the beautiful location. We had amazing food. We had the opportunity to learn a skill like horticulture. We had all those components, but there was something missing. And that's when I decided to put in a second garden in which we would then use to help people in need. And once we got that figured out and began to grow produce, it really did kind of ramp things up in terms of uh, give people a reason to show up that was outside of just themselves. And I, and I think, you know, our community needed that. And I also believe veterans in particular really are searching for that. It's such a huge part of the military and the Air Force. One of our core values was service before self. And that idea of, like, serving, um, it really resonates with people. And once we implemented the donation garden, the first year we actually were working with a local food pantry. We would harvest and donate the produce to the food pantry. We realized you know, although that was a really beautiful thing, it was kind of impersonal. And that's when I reached out to the VA hospital and asked the administration of the local VA hospital in Asheville, North Carolina, for permission to be able to give the produce out free of charge to veterans and caregivers at the main entrance of the hospital. And that was in 2015 when we began that program and have continued to build it ever since. On May 16th, 2018, an unexpected flash flood occurred. Will you walk Get Up Nation through the series of events that happened involving not one, but two flash floods on your property and threatened to wipe out your farm? Will you walk us through that? Absolutely. So basically, long story short, I've lived at this property or my family's owned this property since I was 13 years of age. On the back end of the property is a fairly small, about 10 foot wide creek. And that property has never flooded. You almost take it for granted. I knew it was a 100-year floodplain, but it's not something that really I even think about because it's never flooded. And so this year, believe it or not, the floods, although were tremendously difficult, prior to that flood was actually one of the hardest spots we've ever been in. And that's because financially we were in a really tight situation. Running a nonprofit obviously isn't always the easiest thing in the world to do, let alone running a nonprofit that gives away all of the, you know, the items that we grow. Often people would ask us, well, why don't you sell the produce? And the reason why we don't sell it is because we emphasize the fact that when we show up at the hospital, we don't bring, in agriculture, it's called seconds. It's basically the stuff that once you sell the good stuff, whatever you have left over, whatever can be gleaned from the plants once the first fruits are gone, that's usually what people receive in terms of donations. And we didn't want that. We've always wanted to make sure that when we give this food away at the hospital, we emphasize the fact that it's not about whether they have money or don't have money. It's about the fact that they served our country, and we want to serve them with the highest quality organic produce that we can possibly grow. And we want to do it in such a way in which we emphasize that we're not giving a handout out of pity. We're creating a tangible demonstration of love, honor, and respect. And you can't do that if you're just giving away the leftovers. I'm not in any way, shape, or form judging organizations that choose to do that. It's just for us, it was something that I really wanted to make a point. And that said, we didn't sell produce earlier this year. We were in a really, really tight financial situation to the point to where we actually had business mentors advising us 
to consider shutting down. And it just wasn't an option. We couldn't do that. And so we basically scrapped together all the resources we could manage to get together in combination of using five separate greenhouses where we had a little bit of space here and a little bit of space there. Seed company, So True Seeds and Johnny Seeds, giving us free seeds. We were able to start our plants and we decided we were going to put in an American flag garden. So you can purchase colored agricultural plastic and it's basically these long sheets of various colored plastic and it comes in red, it comes in white, it comes in blue. And so we put in this significant garden, about uh, 200 feet long, and there were the first garden we put in in May was 11 rows. And so anyone that's familiar with the flag knows the flag has 13 red and white stripes. Well, we couldn't really pull off 13, but we put in 11. So 11, 200 foot rows of red, white, red, white, red, white, and then blue was the union. And so we were able to put it in. And it was a ton of work. It was really hard. And again, we did it almost against the advice that we were given from the mentors that have been with us since the beginning. And we did it. And it was beautiful. And it was amazing. We got it planted. We, we were somehow able to pull it off. And right when we pulled it off, right when we finished the planting of the garden, got the plastic in, got the wood chips in, got the plants in, that's when the first flood happened. And this little benign 10-foot-wide creek turned into a 400-foot-wide, gigantic river in about five minutes. Wow. If anyone has an experience flash flood before, it's, it's unlike anything I'd ever experienced. I always kind of wondered why they were such a big deal and, and just didn't understand it. I just thought to myself, you can't just walk. <laughs> it's like, why is this such a big deal? Just get out of the way. Well, it happened so fast. And at the time, we had seven sheep in the middle of our field. They were sheep that had been given to us by a veteran. They were her babies. I'm responsible for those animals. We had five portageons in the field. We had a $5,000 walk-behind tractor in the field. We had all this equipment because there was no way to anticipate this would happen. And when the flood happened, we had an extremely short period of time to get that equipment out of the field and get those animals to safety. And somehow, some way, we were able to pull it off. We were able to get the portageons strapped down. and It was an incredibly difficult experience, but we were able to save the animals, save the equipment. And the aftermath resulted in a 100% annihilation of all of the crops we had planted. And the garden that we had put in was completely destroyed. At that point is when it really became clear that, you know, what was once a, a difficult situation was at that point just catastrophe. Like there was just no way that we could continue is the way it looked for most people looking in on it. And for me, it just couldn't stop that smoke with my wife, Nicole, and we really had a heart-to-heart. And I, I explained to her, I was like, hey, we've come this far. You know, I had a, a, other advisors, a gentleman named Jason Brown, who is a former NFL player. He left a very significant NFL career to become a farmer in eastern North Carolina, where he grows sweet potatoes and gives them away to people in need. And a big part of him doing that was his brother, Ducey was killed serving at Abu Ghraib prison. And it was a, a mortar mound that he dove on top of and saved the lives of many people and women. It, it cost him his life. And Jason was very much impacted by that, which led him to choose a different career from the NFL. And he and I were on the phone. And he was a huge source of encouragement, one of the only at the time. And he said to me, John, you know, you can't stop. You have to keep going. And so I did. We did. I shouldn't say I. I didn't do anything. The community came together, and they believed in it. And we pulled our resources together, and we had to purchase new plastic, and we had to reach out and get new plants, and we had to do everything over again. 
and we decided, you know what, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. We're not just going to do it over, we're going to do it better. And so instead of putting in 11 rows, we put in 13 rows. And instead of just putting in the union, the blue plastic, we actually had stars made and put in 50 stars. And, and when we finished it, it was on Memorial Day. And two of our board members, their son, Matthew Bowler, died, was killed in action. And we decided, you know what, we're going to honor Matthew. And we're going to dedicate it in honor of his legacy on Memorial Day. And so we brought Vernon and Ann out and... We made a video and we announced to the world that we were able to accomplish. We were able to come back thanks to our community. We were able to display resilience and replant this garden and dedicate it in honor of an individual who served our country and cost him his life. And it was an incredible thing, an incredible accomplishment. And the very next day was a second 100-year flash flooding event, wiped it out. And at that point, <laughs> it's almost humorous. I can't help but to laugh at it because it was like, you got to be kidding. Like, at that point, it was just like, what do you even say to that? I, I was just standing there looking at this. And, and the only thing I could think in my mind was, we got to do it again. There's no possible way that this individual sacrificed his life that we could just let this go away in shambles. And so we put in a, a third garden for the season. I was watching this video that you're describing, and it's so powerful. And Matthew's parents, Vernon and Ann, they describe how he volunteered to go on a second combat deployment in order to take the place of fellow service members who had families. So he was single, and he volunteered to go back to combat so a mother or a father would not have to. I thought it was particularly powerful how they attribute his presence often to yellow butterflies, and on the day that it was dedicated, the American flag garden that you had created was full of them. Am I correct? Yeah. Things like that, they're, I call them mystical. I don't know what other words you used to describe them, but it's, it's just one of those experiences that is hard to even articulate, but it's, it's definitely powerful. You know, there's no question that there was something happening behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And even with the community coming together, you know, it's one thing, it's something that I've always... I've always strived for and, and desired. It's, it's been the vision that's motivated me from the very beginning was to, to create a place that wasn't just about growing the produce, wasn't just about having sheep or bees or hops or medicinals or whatever it is. It's all of those things were means to an end. The, the end goal was a place that, that people were able to connect. People felt like they belonged to something. The true test of that is a scenario like this because it's one thing to think yourself if ever we were put to a test if ever we were in a really difficult situation it's nice to think that we would be able to come together and rebel we need to grow and have enough skin in the game or enough of a sense of a belonging to this that they would push through whatever the circumstance whatever the challenge was it's one thing to think that it's another thing to actually experience it and to see it and so to, to have, by that second flood, we had no resources. We had nothing. We were literally on the brink. And the community showed up. They showed up in the form of volunteers. And we had hundreds of people just showing up to put in work, put in an hour here and there, put in multiple hours. We had tons of people providing financial contributions. We had multiple farms, or six farms that donated plants. Because keep in mind, at this time in the growing season, 
to even get plants. We had no resources for it. We had no time to put in seeds. And most of the plants needed to be started, peppers and tomatoes in, in February time frame. And so by the time May rolled around, May at this point, we had exhausted all of our resources. And to have everybody show up in the midst of that situation, uh, it was one of the most encouraging experiences I've ever had. That speaks how you mentioned before, of vulnerability. You wanted it to be a place of vulnerability because when adversity is paired with vulnerability, often it draws out the finest qualities of human beings, as you know in your service that during the mission, things go wrong and challenges and obstacles occur. And in that moment, know that you're not alone and to be shored up, to be supported by those in the trench with you is a powerful human experience, and I love that the community surrounded you in that point when you were vulnerable in response to the vulnerability that you had offered them prior. It's just such a powerful example of what people can do in those moments, and it's an honor here to share this with my listeners and to point people in your direction when there are so many negative examples in, the, in our media today and, and negative things that happen it is an absolute honor to draw people and their attention to you and what you're doing there. Will you share some of the programs that Veterans Healing Farm offers others today? Absolutely. So uh, what was so cool and the thing I haven't mentioned yet is our training program. So we were able, you know, with a very, very limited budget, we were able to create a facility, state-of-the-art. It's a 2,000-square-foot off-grid outdoor classroom and it's made up of shipping containers so we have a 40-foot shipping container that has been converted into a bunkhouse it was actually originally designed as a disaster relief shelter for fema and fema said it was too nice for them and so the company that built it went out of business and liquidated their assets and we were able to purchase this facility for pennies on the dollar in addition to that we purchased a 20-foot shipping container that had been converted into a recording studio, and that gentleman sold it to us uh, for pennies on the dollar as well. And with those two units and the mindset of hustling and bootstrapping, we were somehow able to create a large deck. So it's 2,000 square foot. It essentially connects the two shipping containers, raise them four feet high because, mind you, they're in the floodplain. And it's a large wooden deck with a large metal roof on the top. There's $25,000 worth of solar panels on the roof that were donated to us. And so the entire facility is off-grid. And we had created this facility. It was actually finished in early spring when the floods happened, right at the time in which we were being told that we needed to shut down because we were out of money. And it was so hard because it wasn't just the fact that we had created these programs at the hospital and created this community, but we were so close to launching this vision of training veterans from around the country, bringing them out and teaching them agricultural skills, teaching them how to raise bees or how to grow vegetables or all the different things that we had going on at the farm. We were right at that stage to be able to host this incredible opportunity for these individuals to impacted very positively and have uh, the opportunity to learn a skill set that could be very beneficial in many ways, whether it be potentially turning them on to a career field or just giving them something that they could become passionate about. 
and our our primary vision with the training is to equip them with the resources and the skills needed to be able to replicate a similar community farm program in their community. And so when the floods happened, like I said, there was a financial outpouring. It allowed us to kick off our training this summer. And so this summer, in the midst of replanting three times, in the midst of all sorts of other adversities that took place, we launched a one-of-a-kind training program where we actually hosted five one-day workshops and two three-day boot camps. And just to give you an idea of what they consist of, the one-day workshops, we had veterans come out, groups of veterans come out, and we taught things like one of boot camp was on uh, sheep sharing and um, another one was on organic rose production. The three-day boot camps, we actually had veterans from 13 different states total come out and spend three days at our farm. And so the first boot camp was on beekeeping, and we had 10 veterans come out, and we actually gave each veteran their own beehive, a live package of bees, equipment, books, basically everything that they would need to begin to raise bees. And we had five instructors that were fantastic instructors. It's all free of charge for these veterans. They spent the night, we provided the accommodations, the food, everything uh, essentially was free of charge. And shortly after that, we hosted another 14 veterans for a three-day boot camp in which we taught them medicinal herbs. And so we brought out an expert naturopathic doctor and an expert aromatherapist, and we distilled essential oils out of herbs that we had grown on property. We uh, taught them how to make medicine, how to make tinctures, how to make teas, and really equipped them with skills that they could then use as they went home. In addition to that, we sent them home with all sorts of seeds and essentially a toolbox with a variety of different tools that they could then use to make their own medicine. And so that program, that training program, is something in which we're extremely excited about for next year, for future years to come. And it was so hard to be so close to actually being in the position to launch it and then to turn around and to nearly have to shut the doors before we could actually implement something that we were doing very hard at for so many years. Um, and so to go through it and to actually have succeeded and to see the fruit of that labor, it has been an amazing experience for us. As the executive director of this organization, where do you see Veterans Healing Farm in five years? You know, my goal is not to create a conglomerate, an empire. I, I don't want to create a franchise model in which we expand and, and control and are able to just get bigger and bigger. I, I would like to inspire others. I would like to create a national grassroots movement equipped folks with the skills needed for them to be able to do something similar. And so um, a part of what, what I envision is to utilize technology. And I think technology, specifically social media, virtual reality, some of these up-and-coming technologies, they can have very negative impacts. Uh, you know, they, they certainly can be used in ways which isolate us or, or create the opportunity to become isolated. However, I'm not one to throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
and I recognized the difficulty of bringing people to the location and hosting them in person in terms of being able to put them up and, and feed them and all of those various components of pulling off our training. It's very expensive and we're very limited. Just to give you an idea, for our first boot camp, our beekeeping boot camp, our application was online for two weeks and we had 107 applicants, which we were only able to select 10. In the medicinal herb, we had 73 applicants. We were only able to accept 15, and not all 15 showed up. And so the idea of us being able to really impact the masses, the way that I envision being able to do that is to continue to expand via the virtual. So by implementing 360 cameras into our programs where our training are being live-streamed and recorded and, and made available to veterans throughout the nation, um, where all of the resources, all of the proprietary material that we've accomplished, whether it be our business plan that we were awarded 35000 for, or whether it be our bylaws, our 1023 application for our 501c3 status, all of these various foundational components to our organization my goal is to take those components plus the actual teachings themselves and make them available to the masses and to say to other veterans, eat the meat, spit out the bones, here's everything that's worked for us, use it however you choose, and to create an open source network in which we're able to, like I said, equip other veterans, to inspire other veterans, and to really establish a national network of these various micro-communities in a grassroots movement sort of way. That is amazing. I cannot wait to see that uh, come to a reality. Extremely inspiring to hear your vision and the, the humility of it, selfless service. Certainly you embody that, and it's coming to fruition in the, the ways that you're sharing on social media and all the profound offerings that you're giving others. You truly are creating a community where, where veterans feel safe, where it's okay to feel vulnerable, where you can share that growth and that growth is truly cultivated. I always end the show with six questions to help my listeners understand the why within my guests. Will you run through these six quick questions with me as we close? Sure. Who are you thankful for today? I'm really grateful for my father. I had some difficulties growing up. You know, I had a rough relationship with my dad. But as I've gotten older and as I've been able to really honor his legacy, because the property that we have our farm on is actually Mashie Lane. I'm John Mashie. It's my family's property. It's my father's legacy. And to be able to use that in a way in which is really honoring to him in, in serving others. As I've continued on this path, I've really healed from a lot of that dysfunction that I had with my dad. And I've been able to begin to see so many things that he taught me as a kid that have allowed me to become the man that I am today. And now that we've covered who you're thankful for, what are you thankful for today? So the second part in terms of what I'm thankful for, I would say that I'm thankful for an opportunity to do something that's bigger than myself, that, that I have a reason to wake up every day and to get out of bed and to actually continue forward with the idea that what I'm doing has the ability to, to save lives, to change lives, to inspire others, to help others. Um, something that's more than just the nine-to-five rat race that our society, it seems like we could easily be entrapped by. And, and so uh, specifically in terms of the what, I think that the passion that's behind the mission of the Veterans Foundation is what I'm thankful for. How do you fuel the fire within you? The fire for me, it's a regular interaction with individuals and who are in need. I can't help but to continue to just 
important. Maybe the word mission is a better word, but there's an idea that there's tremendous need out there. And as I continue to do what I do on a regular basis, I'm exposed to that need. And, and I can't help but to be motivated by it as, as I continue to recognize the amount of opportunity that exists within what we are doing now to, to make an impact and to do things that are of significance to others. What is one thing adversity taught you to value? Adversity is one of those interesting things. It's, it's the fire. It, it's the fire that really refines the gold. They say when gold is impure, if you heat it up, dross rises to the top. It's the impurity that can then be skimmed off. And, and so in terms of what it's it allowed me to value, the adversity has really exposed the things in life that are fleeting, that are really a waste of time, energy, and effort. You know, my experience in the honor guard to be exposed to so many funerals and to see the lives that were, were lives well lived. It was the lives that people stood up at their funerals and couldn't stop talking about the impact that that person had on others. The lives that we live that are just self-serving, the significance isn't there. Whereas to go through adversity, to experience hardship, and then to recognize that the things in which really mean something in life are the things that have to do with the serving of others in something of bigger significance than just me, my, and I. What are you doing today you never thought you could? One of my biggest fears was that in order to accomplish what I've done in terms of what we've done as, as a community, in terms of the veterans healing farm, one of my biggest fears was that in doing so, it would force me to sacrifice my family in the process, my relationship with my children, my relationship with my wife, or my relationship, you know, my own personal health. And the idea of being able to do all those things, to, to be able to be a great father and a great husband, and actually take care of myself while simultaneously succeeding at creating the Veterans Healing Month. That has been something that I'm incredibly grateful for. And what will you do tomorrow that you never thought you could? Try to help others. You know, each and every day, my objective is, is always to do that which is in front of me. Always aspire to, to pick up the trash as I walk by it, to, to help the individual at the opportunity, and then to take time for my children to, to be a good mother, and then also to make sure to take care of myself in the process. For those who are interested in donating or partnering with you and Veterans Healing Farm, how can they learn more? The best way to, to learn more and to make a financial uh, contribution would be on our website. Thank you so much for your work and your time and for doing something truly remarkable with your life. Thank you very much for having me.